Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Happy New Year. Now, what we'd like to invite you to do is to join us on this 40-day journey of devoting a time each day to prayer. Uh, You'll be joining with Christians all over the globe that are a part of our Christian and Missionary Alliance family. And the resources are on our website for the devotional. There's a devotional in Spanish. There's a devotional in Chinese. There's, there, it is really a very international 40 days of prayer. And then I, I do this thing where on my personal Facebook page, but also on a page called Morning Devotionals with Pastor Mike, where I do a morning devotional on the particular devotion of that day. And so... We'd love for you to join us in that, and that also becomes a podcast. So if you'd like to just just say, I want to start 2023 focused on prayer, you can join us in in doing that. Now, I'm going to do that devotional every day except for a week in which Gabe and I are actually going to Thailand because we're ministering to uh, our international workers in Asia for a week in Thailand, and uh, somebody's got to do it, so... (laughs) So when it comes to prayer, this, one of the essential aspects is to begin to understand that prayer doesn't work if you don't have the right prayer approach. And a lot of people have said to me over the years, you know, I tried praying, it didn't work. The fact is, if you have the wrong spirituality in your prayer life, your prayers will not go anywhere. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the aspect that all real prayer starts as worship. And so I want to use a a passage that's very familiar, and I like it when you read with me. This is the Philippians 4 passage. I like it when you read out loud with me. So let's read God's word together. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I want you to preach your first sermon in 2023, so turn to your neighbor. Okay, I want you to point at him. It's no good if you don't point at him. Got to point at him. And I want you to say this to your neighbor. The Lord is near. near. Say it again. Now say, do not be anxious anxious about anything. anything. Say it one more time. Do not be anxious anxious about anything. anything. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's all you had to do? Just tell your neighbor that and it's gone like that. Anxiety is a form of fear. It integrates into your psyche. It integrates into your personality as a power source. It is there even sometimes when you don't think it's there. Because it is more than simply 
you know, a way of living, it's a way of destruction. And so the scripture doesn't say, have no fear about anything. It doesn't say be angry, never. But it does say, do not be anxious about anything. And so here we want to look at this a little bit, because in a way, what we're really talking about is that every single person has something that they worship. They have something that they, in their hearts, have guarded and say, this is what matters to me. Now, you either guard what matters to you by fear, or you guard what matters to you by faith. You cannot do both. Fear just repels love and faith, and perfect love repels fear. And the only way that you experience perfect love is not because you perform perfectly, but because you receive perfect love by faith. So one or the other is going to manifest in you in difficult circumstances. Either faith is going to manifest or anxiety is going to manifest. Because every single one of us faces circumstances that matter to us, but are outside of our ability to control. So what is the sign then that you are being held by the spirit of Christ, it's peace that manifests in the midst of your distress. If, however, when you are distressed, peace does not manifest, it means that some other spirit has control. And that spirit is usually a spirit of fear would manifest as an anxiety. And so we're really talking about not merely psychological issues. We're talking about the spiritual issues that every believer faces. Because I would love it if in 2023 you did not meet any distress whatsoever. But my guess is you will. I know I am already. The year started with distress. And so I know that what I want to manifest is the Holy Spirit's fruit in the midst of my distress. I want there to be peace. And what is the biblical idea of peace? Well, it's inner equilibrium. It's an inner poise in the face of the demands of life. Not not faking it till you make it or playing like you're not distressed, but actually being able to face without denying what you're facing. See, I meet people who think faith is to act like something's not happening to them. I was actually listening to the radio to this one preacher, and he's coughing into the radio, just hacking coughs. And he's saying, in Jesus' name, I'm not coughing. I'm not coughing. I'm not coughing. I'm like, you are coughing. You are coughing. That's not faith. That's deception. And you cannot, you, cannot, you cannot overcome something if you will not face something. It is, not, it is not by the denial of reality that we express our faith. But it is by facing reality with inner equilibrium and poise. What does that mean? Well, in verse 7, it says, the peace of God will keep you. 
And then in verse 9, it says, the God of peace will keep you. Now think through this. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't give his peace without his presence. And if you are experiencing his presence, then you can appropriate his peace. It is not a willpower issue. It is a faith issue. It is a surrender issue. It is a taking hold of what is yours issue. So then the idea is that you're not being called to seek peace, but you're being called to seek God, not just his peace. See, to have the peace of God, you have to seek the God of peace. All right, so second sermon for you. Turn to your neighbor. Come on, you got to point at him. He's got to have a little anointing right now. Come on. Your neighbor needs to hear this. All right, so look him in the eye. Say to them, seek God, God. not just his peace. peace. To have the peace of God, God. you have to seek the God of peace. peace. See, I know a lot of people who want peace, but they don't want God. Because you see, if you seek God, you have to surrender to God. And do you know God's been seeking you your whole life? Don't you love Psalm 23 where it says, Surely goodness and mercy have been following you all the days of your life. And it could be translated chasing or pursuing you. So what we've wanted is we want the benefits of God without God. We want the blessings without the blesser. And this passage is saying, you can't will your way into peace. And the truth is, if you know anything about anxiety, it doesn't go away just because you say, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. (laughs) And it's interesting. The very thing you're most afraid of will go away, but the fear will not. Which tells you it's a spiritual issue, not a psychological issue. So how do you know that the peace of God is not developing in you or taking hold of you? Well, you know if you, if you only pray when you're in trouble. If you only pray when you're in trouble, then his peace is not forming in you. It's not integrating into your personality. So you're having to ask for him to rescue you because you have no peace in the midst of your problems. C.S. Lewis said it this way, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. There are a lot of us that we are, we are tunnel vision focused on our problems. We are making our world smaller and smaller to be only about what I want and what I need. When you do that, you neither get what you want, nor do you get what you need, because you're not understanding what you actually need. Most of us hear no from God because we're praying the wrong prayers. God is, if you, if you want to know the truth, God is answering the prayers you should have prayed if you just knew what God knows about you. But it takes time to start trusting 
that the anxiety of the moment is not what God is acting on. That he is actually leading to your greater destiny than to rescue you from your emergency. So what? It's, it's fortunate that the blindness in my eye is on the right side right now. They're having too much fun. I'm having too much fun, actually. So why does that verse, have you, ever, have you ever heard that verse before? Do not be anxious about anything. Isn't it interesting that nobody uses the words right before that? The Lord is near. So we feel bad because we're anxious, but we're not cultivating a heart attitude which will take away the anxiety. Feeling guilty about being anxious is not going to take your anxiety away. As a matter of fact, it'll make you feel anxious about being anxious. So what, what is Paul saying? He's saying the Lord is near. Cultivate the presence of heaven. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. So the idea is that when the distress comes, we want to only focus on the distress. We want to focus on what we think are the resources we need to get out of the distress. But what the scripture is saying is you have a bigger resource than the situation, but it's not from earth. And it has to be that you start to cultivate in the midst of your needs a sense of peace that is not bound to your circumstances. Many of us are saying, I'll believe you when. I'll trust you if. Instead of saying, wait a minute, heaven can invade my heart right now. Heaven can come through my prayers into my family, my job, my community right now because I'm a citizen of heaven. And I have a right to the presence of God. Jesus himself said, if any two or more of you are calling and meeting in my name, there I am in the midst of you. We need to cultivate that. I love this saying by Corey Tim Boom because sometimes it feels like as soon as God does something big in your life, a season of darkness comes. I hate to say this, and maybe it'll scare some of you away. But if you go into 40 days of prayer with me, at times it will feel like all hell is broken loose. Now, it won't be that all hell is broken loose. It'll actually be that the things that have been hidden where the enemy has had access to you will be revealed. And you'll have to decide if you're going to deal with your anxiety, your anger, your unforgiveness, your areas of temptation. You'll have to decide... Am I going to trust or am I going to fear? And here's Corey Timbun say, say, saying. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off the train. You sit still and you trust the engineer. See, anxiety is when it gets dark, you're tearing up your tip kit and you're jumping off the train. 
Because you're saying the engineer of my life cannot be trusted. Are you tracking with me on this? Will you read that with me? When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. I feel like that's a prophetic word for some of you today. Because you're going through a tunnel. It got dark and you don't know when the tunnel is over. But the engineer is trustworthy. Here is the thing you must understand is the maturity of your prayer life is based on the development of the peace in your heart. And without a maturing prayer life, you will not see bigger and bigger answers. Your maturity in prayer enlarges the answers. You can't expect to have million-dollar answers if all you know are nickel prayers. So here is the deal. Our group that's doing this 40 days of prayer, they wrote this introduction to today, and I thought it was a good one. Prayer is our invitation to commune with God himself, and in its purest form begins as worship. Simply by addressing our Father in heaven, we acknowledge his place in the world and our lives. We honor his name and his power. The spoken words to a loving heavenly Father are a testament to his authority and sovereignty. Our prayers are futile if they're directed toward any other entity. We worship our Father when we acknowledge his rightful place on the throne, and we express our faith in a sovereign God when we make our requests known. To pray is to worship. Now, why is this so important? Well, again, Jesus said that there are certain ways that you approach prayer. There are certain ways that you pray. He says, these will never be heard. And so what the Lord's prayer does, it gives us a pattern. And in that pattern, it shows us something so interesting that if your prayer life doesn't begin with worship of God for who he is, then what happens is you begin to demand of God things that you think you deserve. And then prayer becomes a business arrangement instead of a child asking the father. And anytime you switch prayer from child-father relationship to a business arrangement, you have no arrangement. There is no access to the source of your needs unless you're coming as a child who's speaking to the Father. Now, to unpack this statement a little bit more of how worship connects is you have to understand that when you're praying aright, you are acknowledging even in your greatest moments of desire or need or longing, whatever it is, in the greatest moments you're acknowledging by praying that you're not the authority. This is why when I hear people tell God how he has to do it and when he has to do it and how he has to do it with this person and for that person and that, I'm like, what you're saying is you worship you and you want him to help you. You're saying, I am the authority, you're the assistant. He never applied for that job. 
He will never fulfill that job because there's a simple aspect of authority. Please think about this with me. Authority is the right and the ability to accomplish a purpose. And when you connect authority to God, you're saying it's his right. It's his ability to accomplish all of his purposes. You see, if that's not true of him, then he's not God. But since he is God, you and I have to acknowledge and submit to that he has the authority to accomplish all his purposes. And if you think about it, the things I really want him to do, I can't do them. I can't legitimately make my kids do what I want them to do. I can't legitimately make my work go exactly like I want it to go because it involves all kinds of other free people. You understand there's so many things in your life that you are powerless over, and yet you need those things to work. Well, the one who can make it work is the one who has authority to accomplish his purposes. We don't pray just so we'll get God to do what we want him to do. We pray because all authority belongs to God. And when you pray, you're acknowledging that that there's more to your life than just the problems. See, so many of us, our focus in prayer is, Lord, you need to do this. Lord, I need you to do that. Lord, please do this. Instead of recognizing You have access to the one who has all authority, who has the ability and the right to do anything his will wants to do. When you're praying, you're not just to be focused on this one little thing or that little thing. You're actually being asked to catch up to the very work that God's doing in your life. See, a lot of times what's happening is the stress is distracting us. God is at work at all times. I love that song, don't you? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Because the authority of God never ceases. And you want to know something so interesting is the scripture is really clear. He does not want to work bypassing you. He wants you to be involved. When you pray, you're acknowledging your involvement in God's greater work. And guess what happens when you do that? You get remade. You get changed from the inside out. Jesus said it this way. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, authority is not a great word in our day because so many people have oppressed us. So many people have let us down. So many people have betrayed their positions. But you see, in God's hands, authority is beautiful because God never operates in authority without love. His authority is never separate from his all-knowing wisdom. He's always creating. He's always redeeming. Now, I like this one about redeeming. I've been, Lisa and I have been watching certain movies, Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, I know I just checked my man card at the door, but uh, 
Anyway, the, it's interesting, though, there's a common theme in so many movies have not, nothing to do with Christianity. They have nothing to do with religion or anything else. But there's almost always an irredeemable person or there's an unreconcilable situation. And isn't it fascinating how if you, if you let your heart get involved with the story, that redemption resonates. That reconciliation touches you in some place. Lisa always goes, are you crying? No, I'm not crying. <laughs> See what? <laughs> yes, I am. That's why she asks. She knows I'm crying. Do you not see that that's part of the image of God in you? That your love for redemption, your love of reconciliation, your love of sorrows not being wasted is the very heart of God. Do you know why you can trust his authority? Because he's a redeemer. Because he takes your scars and he makes them beautiful. He takes your pain and says, I will not let your sorrows be wasted. It's the reason you can pray. It's not, it's not to beg him to be what he's not, but it's because you expect him to be what he is. I love, I love this statement by uh, N.T. Wright. He said, authority is not the power to control people and crush them and keep them in little boxes. God's authority is designed to liberate human beings, to judge and condemn evil and sin in the world in order to set people free. Now, I, I think you need to say this to your neighbor for me, all right? So turn to your neighbor, because this is a great truth. God's authority, God's authority. is designed to liberate, designed to, liberate. To, judge to judge and condemn evil, in order to set people free. In order to set you free. This is why we pray. We're not praying just so this one situation will turn out well. It's so that God can redeem all our life. It's so God can reconcile what is unreconcilable. It's so that God can do in our community what we cannot do. He, in his authority, can accomplish this liberating purpose. So how does God exercise that authority? Well, again and again in the biblical story itself, we see that he does through, through human agents anointed and equipped by the Holy Spirit. You see, in other words... Some of you have left all the work of God to the clergy. You've left it to the professionals. But any person who has the Holy Spirit is called on assignment to do the work of God. And the work he's called you to do, whether it's an accountant, a teacher, whether it's a, a, a hard worker, 
whether it's a farm or whatever it is, whatever work, he wants to anoint you for that work supernaturally. And he wants to equip you by his spirit so that you have extraordinary ability even though you're an ordinary person. But it means that there has to be a submission on your part and a trust that says, I trust your authority. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's always a choice, a choice of whether I will go for what it takes to be anointed. I will submit to what it takes to be equipped or I will keep doing it in my own power and be angry at God for not helping me. Some years ago, I was invited to this huge conference. It was a world conference thing, and I spoke for three days on uh, spiritual formation stuff that I do for a doctoral class that I teach in Puerto Rico. And those three days, the, the folks, the leaders like, oh, you're great. You're awesome. We love you. Please come to our country and do all these things. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like it here. Maybe I'll move here. <laughs> and I, and I, as I watched it, as I listened, I knew one thing is these leaders did not know the Holy Spirit deeply. And they did not know how to hear from the Spirit. So I felt in my spirit that I should, on my last talk, I should, I should talk about hearing from the Spirit. Well, as I gave that talk and as I shared as a pastor, as a preacher, all those things about how the Spirit leads and moves and how you respond and how you, know, you, you trust what's happening, I could see them cutting out. I could see them turning off. And I went from being somebody they were really liking to somebody I never heard from them again. And here's what, here's what happened. They did not want to lose control. Because if you're going to be anointed, you can't control it. You're not in control. The anointer is in control. If you're going to be equipped, you have to surrender. You cannot mix your agenda with the Holy Spirit's agenda. You have to be on his assignment and there has to be alignment. And in order to do that, you have to say, I don't know what I'm doing apart from him. And that loss of control was too much. And so some said to me this, we just want to study our Bibles. We want to learn theology and then we want to teach people what we learned. I don't, I, I understand why people do that. It is really hard to let go of control. It's really hard to surrender. But do you know that every pastor is as screwed up as you are? Every preacher is as sinful as you are because Christ had to pay the same price for every pastor that he does for every other person. We are all so evil Christ had to die for us. And yet we're all so loved that Christ chose to die for us. But unless, friends, we are doing his ministry in his anointing, then all it is is more fleshly stuff trying to build some fleshly monument to ourselves. Now, it's not that the spirit can't break through our foolishness. He used a donkey. He can use almost anybody. 
But how many pulpits are filled with people who are unwilling to be anointed? But then again, how many office buildings? How many education centers? How many families? How many homes that could have an anointed mother, an anointed father, but I'm unwilling because I don't want to lose control. I don't want to surrender to another authority. I believe in God, but I don't trust God. This is why, for me, I, I have to continually say to you, when he uses his authority, yes, you have to let go of control, but he does it to liberate you from your stifling, oppressive control of yourself. Are you tracking with me? Now, some people will say to me, well, how do you know you're hearing from God? <laughs> it's really fascinating how many voices all of us have in our heads. It's not because we're crazy. It's just that's the way thoughts manifest. That's the way the thoughts work in your head. So many of us have different voices. They can sound like your mom. They can sound like your coach. They can sound like you. They can sound like all kinds of things. But the question is, is that voice coming from God or is it coming from your enemy? I remember doing deliverance with this one pastor and he had at least five different voices we had to deliver him from. And as he got delivered, there's a part in the way I do deliverance that I've learned where I ask, does the spirit of Christ have something to say to this person? And so I asked and suddenly... This guy began to hear the most encouraging, affirming, awesome words of inspiration and anointing and all kinds of things, clarifying his call, affirming his call, doing all of this stuff. And, and he, he was weeping as he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit for the first time. He'd been a pastor for years, heard the voice of the Spirit for the first time. But because he was so inexperienced in God's voice, he said, are you sure that was the Holy Spirit? I was like, well, demons don't encourage you. Demons don't affirm you. Demons don't make you feel closer to Christ. I said, nothing of what you explained you were hearing would have ever come from the tempter, the tester, the accuser, or the deceiver. Now, you might say to me, well, what if I do hear something and it's wrong? Then you can be corrected. I mean, have you ever noticed that your steering wheel is worthless in a parking lot until you start driving the car? You have the ability to course correct. And so a lot of times I thought it was the Lord and it was adrenaline. Sometimes I thought it was the Lord because I got so excited, but it wasn't the Lord. But guess what? He was really good at correcting me. And if you have the humility to be corrected then it becomes a portfolio of wisdom in your life where you say, I learned this is not the Lord, but this is the Lord. The word of God, what does it say about the word of God? When Paul wrote to Timothy, it says it's to correct, it's to rebuke, it's to instruct. You do not have the voice of the spirit without the word of God. But in some ways today, I'd like, I'd like to really get you convinced that you're not just under the authority of the Bible. 
You're under the authority of the God of the Bible. So therefore, you're not under the authority of somebody's interpretation. You're not under the authority of somebody else's rules. You're under the authority directly of the God who has all authority and of Christ to whom all authority has been given. And that Christ said this, my sheep hear my voice. I'm saying to you, whatever you're doing in your life, it's bigger than even what you can imagine. Therefore, you have to have a prayer life so that you can experience the anointing so that even what you've imagined can become reality. And you have to be equipped supernaturally. Now, I'm doing all the work. You guys look tired. All right, I'll finish up so you won't get too tired. Do you notice something in this passage that we read? It starts with anxiety and it ends with peace. So the question is, how do I get from anxiety to peace? And my wife helped me in this. So you see, if you are being an honest person, then you can start using anxiety as a catalyst for prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. In other words, anything that you feel anxiety about matters to you. You don't feel anxious about things that don't matter. It only brings anxiety because you care. Well, guess what? If you care about it, there's someone who cares more about you than what you care about. And so what anxiety should do is if you'll be honest, you'll say, Lord, this is on my heart. Lord, this matters to me. Lord, I'm upset about this. And you begin to use it to pray and to, to, to make it a matter of prayer. So the way Lisa, at least I, as I can remember how she talked, because I didn't ask her if I could use this. I'm just stealing it. But the way that I remember her doing it is this. She said, okay, so you experience anxiety. So that anxiety becomes the matter of your prayer because you already have deep emotion about it. Guess what? Any person who can experience worry can be a great prayer. Any person who can feel deeply enough to be anxious can be an amazing prayer warrior. It does not exclude you. It actually prepares you. So you take that anxiety and you say, okay, I'm anxious about this. And you, you evaluate, you look at it and say, what am I anxious about? And then that becomes, step, that becomes your prayer. And so instead of saying, God, you've got to solve it this way by this time. You've got to do it like this. Instead, you say, wait a minute. I don't have any authority over this, but I know who does. And you take that matter and you say, Lord, I'm submitting it to your authority and to your sovereignty. And you're lifting it up and you're giving the results and the outcomes to Jesus, who is your liberator. Then the next step, what does it say? With thanksgiving. Now, here is where Christians drive me crazy. They'll go, okay, what am I thankful about? What am I thankful? Oh, yeah, thank you for the grass. Thank you for the breeze. 
Thank you for the wind and the trees. Thank you. I'm like, shut up. I mean, I can't say it out loud, but in my heart, I'm going, please, please stop this. Look, you were just anxious, but now you get to Thanksgiving and you're trying to think of trite, stupid things to be thankful about. If, if what he's saying is you have something that matters to you, you give it in prayer to the God who has all the authority, and then you begin to speak the language of Thanksgiving of, God, you've got this. God, you've never failed me in the past. Or maybe you, you use words like this. If you're for me, who can be against me? And you think, wait a minute, I hear a condemning voice, but who can condemn me? Only Christ could bring a charge against me, and he died for me. Or maybe you think every promise of God is yes and amen. You see, that's what thanksgiving is. It's not trite. It's not cliched. I don't care if you're thankful for the breeze. Leave me alone with that. Spend that another day. But if you want to get somewhere, you've got to be thankful in the moment for the authority of God to deal with what you're anxious about. It cannot be disconnected. You do not win warfare by hitting all over the map. You win warfare by taking a sledgehammer to what's in front of you and blowing a hole in it. And thanksgiving is the language of faith. It's the language, God, you've got this. You've never failed me before, and you'll never fail me again. Because I trusted you in the past, I know I can trust you in the present. You understand, anxiety is the language of hell. Because you start feeling in anxiety the pain of events that haven't even happened. You can start feeling depressed about something that's not even going to happen. So either you're going to have Satan's prophetic image of your future, which is death, or you're going to have God's prophetic image of your future, which is victory. Which do you think will take you through the tunnel? Only an image of the victory that Christ already has for you. I am thankful, God, that if you are for me, who can be against me? I am thankful, God, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's not a cliche. It's standing on the authority of God who has empowered his word as a place of authority for you to be thankful. And then what does it say? And the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. And the God of peace will keep your hearts and mind. Now, here's the thing. That's not a willpower. Okay, I'm going to be peaceful. I'm going to be peaceful. You know the person who said, I'm going to be peaceful is not being peaceful. They're still being anxious. They're being anxious about being peaceful. You understand, it is not a willpower. It is not a performance. It's believing so that you can receive it. It's not achieving, it's receiving. See, his word doesn't say, and if you do this, this, and this, you'll have peace. No, his word says, and the peace which passes all understanding will guard, will garrison your heart. And so that means at that moment that you've done what he asked you to do, you go, now, I'm settling into this inner equilibrium. Now I'm receiving the peace of 
Christ because I have the presence of the God of peace. Now we stand with me. Let's do this together. All right, so you're going to have to work together. All right, you're going to have to work together because you're going to move to your right. Okay, you're going to move three steps or so to your right. I'll show you when to do it. All right, we'll do it together. All right, so the first thing I want you to do is this. What is making your heart heavy? What's making you anxious? Be honest. And if you've been denying the reality of anxiety, let the Spirit show you. Because if something matters to you that you don't have control over, it creates anxiety in you. So the first thing to do is just, I want you to take what matters and is on your heart, put, it, put, it, put your hands right on your heart. Okay, this is the thing you're going to pray about. This is what you're going to bring under the authority and the sovereignty of God. And you're going to say, you're going to say, I am surrendering this. I'm acknowledging this. So you take this and you move one step over and you take what's on your heart and you lift it up to the authority of God. Lift it up. Say it with me. I lift this issue to the authority of my God. I trust you. I will tell you all about this. But right now I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you with the results. Okay, now you take a next step. Still with your hands up because you're acknowledging his authority. I want you to say this with me. If you are for me, who can be against me? I can do all things through your strength. I'm receiving your anointing and your equipping. And I'm thankful that the outcome is already achieved. I trust you. I rely on you. I'm grateful to you. Then I want you to take one more step. One more step. And this time, wrap your arms around yourself like the Holy Spirit is embracing you. Remember, this is not, you're not performing the peace, you're receiving the peace. So would you say this with me? I receive the peace of Christ. I receive the God of peace. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me and my hallmark heart. I don't know. But in the first service and in this one, a peace, like a physical peace has come over me both times. Would you let it come over you? Remember what that scripture starts with? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. It's not that you have to figure out how it's going to work out. It's your believing the one who will work it out. And instead of trying to figure out all the things you have to do, right now you're leaving it in his capable hands. We say it again with me. I receive the peace of God and I receive the God of peace. You are my garrison. You're my protector and you're my provider.
I just hear the Lord saying in 2023, there are are irredeemable things that will be redeemed. There are places of reconciliation that you will see. Things that will come together that you thought could never come together. They're coming together this year. 